Welcome back to another episode of the Fantasy Baseball Buds podcast. We are running down catcher rankings for the 2024 Dynasty season. Richie and I are going to go over our major league top 10, add some more names there at the end to kind of just give you a who's on the fringe. And then we're going to dive into our top 10 minor league catchers moving forward in Dynasty. But first, let's bring in Richie. Richie, what's going on, bud? Hey, how's it going? We are recording on the 19th. It is my daughter's first birthday. Um, pretty uneventful. I didn't do anything. I went to work, came home, watched her. Um, I guess the only highlight of her was uh, those little stacking blocks, you know, like the little circles that you put on the, the rings. I don't know what it's called, but um, she used to just take those off, but now she is able to put those back on. So making some cognitive um, progress there so I guess that's a proud father moment but outside of real life baseball world it seems that signing um, highly touted free agents has now come down to dead people montages um, Otani was signed with a montage from a dead Kobe Bryant and now it sounds like the Yankees are using a little hologram of Babe Ruth to entice Yamamoto to sign with him. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what the Twitter rumors are. If that's what it's come down to, that's um, a little embarrassing. But, hey, if you're highly sought after, I get it. I think ultimately he's going to go wherever the most money offered is coming from based on the amount of meetings he's had with the Mets, Yankees, and the Dodgers. Um, so, yeah, it's yeah, interesting. Those are the highlights for me. Uh, David Sampson, the former executive for the Marlins, has his own podcast now. If you haven't taken a listen, go ahead, check it out. He's doing a solo run. Uh, that's very hard to do a solo run, you know, to be on the mic for 45 to 60 minutes by yourself. And he does a very good job with it. He is a friend, uh, friend of the uh, Levitard show. So kind of the offshoot of Levitard and his interviews, you know, that was the Miami connection reason I bring up David Sampson is because he actually talked about this exact concept, I want to say about two weeks ago, when I was driving back from New Mexico, tossed his episode on, and it was about the Otani signing. And he talked about how these teams will go about doing everything they can to impress and entice the player with, you know, extra pieces on the table. The hologram, the Kobe Bryant montage, you know, shoes in, in their likeness, whatever simple things or, you know, extravagant things they're doing. And he said, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. He's like, you can do all these things. The end of the day, the biggest offer usually wins. And if it's the biggest offer that's not winning, there are other variables at play. Maybe it's location. Maybe it's size of city, size of market, you know, things that actually matter from, again, a financial perspective or from an emotional perspective. If, you know, think about Zach Granke having the anxiety issue. So I do find that funny. It's completely pointless. Why waste your time? You know, tell him what he is going to be to the team, to the city, how much you're going to pay him, let him make his decision. And uh, it is a little different though. You know, Japanese Asian culture has that level of respect, especially within a negotiating meeting that I think is different from American culture. So I, I get that side of it. Um, but yeah, it's kind of gotten ridiculous at this point. Yeah. Um, I still think he's a front runner to sign with the Yankees. That was one of my off-season predictions. I'm sticking to my guns with that. I think that's where he ultimately lands. I think the giant wrench in this is Otani going to the Dodgers for the contract and or the $2 million contract that he's ultimately getting for the next 10 years, but also that they got Glasnow. So now the Dodgers are pretty much building this Goliath roster, and they have the money to keep going. So 
We'll see. I think he still goes to the Yankees. I think, I think that happens. So we've heard a lot of narrative on Glass now. You know, I think we are almost a full week since that transaction has gone down. You know, we didn't get a chance to talk on our last episode because it was post episode. Um, and I think the narrative is that Glass now will pitch 120 to 150 innings per season, and that the injuries will continue. I actually don't necessarily believe that. I think we have a chance to have Glasnow actually start to perform at that 140 to 180 over the next five years of this deal. And I don't hear a whole lot of people talking about that. You know, when you think about Glasnow's injuries, the Tommy John was big. Obviously, the lat issues were also a concern. But we're talking about a guy that at his peak is an ace. We are both in agreement with that. And I do believe that in the Dodgers system, with the Dodgers medical staff, we have an opportunity to possibly see him executing at 75% of his starts a season, which would return immense value on the deal he just signed. What are your thoughts? Do you think that's even remotely possible? Remotely possible that he makes finds a way to stay more healthy than what his career trajectory has him on. If we find out some news that the Dodgers have identified certain pitches that have higher torque on him, like maybe his curveball is putting too much stress on that lat or certain mechanics on how his delivery is and they do some minor tweaks. Um, I, I, I'm one of those that were, until he proves me wrong, I'm, I'm off the bandwagon as far as him staying healthy. I don't think you can rely on him getting you 150 innings. I think a realistic is 100 to 120. It's the exact same expectations I have with Jacob deGrom, Max Scherzer. He's one of those guys where I don't anticipate a full season. Do I think it's going to be a season-ending injury? No, not necessarily, but I think he's going to have at least one, at a minimum, trip to the IL, but more likely two to three different trips that cause him two to three weeks um, throughout the course of the season. I think that's a realistic um, outcome for Tyler Glasnow. Okay, so you said two to three weeks, but I think you're probably more or less assuming a month, right? Like if we're saying yeah, two, yeah. three, or four possibly trips, right? That's say he misses a month, um, which still brings him in around 80%, I think, if we're doing just bare math here, uh, a little higher than 80%. I'm okay with that. Also, and I think this is something that's not being talked about, if you continue to run into issues with Glass now from a starter's workload, that $25 million a year, I think, on you know roughly, that he got, I'm okay with him being a stretch closer. Like, the stuff is there. The dominance is there. You're talking about 100 to 120 innings if he's a stretch closer, which is a guy that pitches one to two innings, you know, comes in maybe seven, eight, nine at times. So if, it, if it's, a, you know, a really important game, I'm okay paying that guy $25 million a year. I think you also have to think about the fact that, you know, Tani will be pitching next year in 2025. We saw the Angels go to a six-man. We probably see the Dodgers go to a six man. We see the depth in this road in this organization already, still with the players that they've already moved on from. You still have three or four pitchers that we like in the minor leagues on top of Sheehan. So I, I think there's a lot of opportunity to extend his health once Otani gets back and you see that six man rotation. There's a lot, I think, for uh fantasy baseball to analyze going to next year. But maybe to your point, kind of waiting and seeing, we need to see what the twenty twenty four season holds. I think in order to really project moving forward. Yeah, only time will tell. All right, let's get into it. So we're going to kick off our off-season rankings. We're going to do some major leaguers today. We're going to do some minor leaguers. We're going to uh, break them up. And I think that's the right way to do it because if we didn't, I think I'd be far too aggressive. And I think I would have 
Samuel Basalo, number one overall, um, even <laughs> though we know he's going to be a first baseman. So we're going to kick off with Major League Dynasty rankings for catchers. Richie, go ahead and kick us off. Yeah, so for the major, do you want me to just run through them all or... Uh, give me, give me each player and just tell me ex- like why for you, from your perspective, he falls where he falls. Yeah. So number one, Adley Rutschman, I think that's going to be consensus across the industry. Um, still very young on the Baltimore Orioles team had a fantastic season. I think he only continues to grow. Number two, I have Will Smith of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Um, he's done pretty well in his own right. Gives you a solid batting average has great power. He had 19 home runs last year. I think a realistic expectation. I think that's probably his floor. I realistically see him getting more closer to 25, sometimes 30, and give you that solid batting average. 261 for a catcher is pretty damn good. And number three, William Contreras of the Milwaukee Brewers also was on fire to finish the season. Number three, I think he's only wish I added up. He's either 24 or 26 years old, so still fairly young for a catcher. Number four, I have Francisco Alvarez. Kind of had some ups and downs in the majors, but I think he's still young at 21 or 22 years old. Um, the face of the franchise for that Mets as soon as Pete Alonso is gone, unless he signs a contract extension. And the number five, I have Sean Murphy. He kind of, you know, stumbled there at the end for the Atlanta Braves finished this season with a 251 batting average and he's getting up there in age 29 years old now so he's not quite 30 yet which is the threshold for me in dynasty as soon as I see that three at the beginning of your age that starts to become a red flag for me which is sad to say because both of our ages start with the number three now so it's funny to talk about these guys being the old guns um, in the major league. So that, that rounds up my top five. I'll, I'll stop there and give you a moment to weigh in on your thoughts. I think your top five is fairly similar if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, we deviate a little bit. We have the same one and two. Ali Rutschman, don't need to talk much there. Will Smith. Now this is what's interesting, Richie. So Will Smith turns 29 and Sean Murphy is 29. Sean Murphy just turned 29 in October. So this will be his age 29 season. I did not realize that both of these players were the same age. When you think of Will Smith, I think we naturally think of him as being a bit younger than Murphy. But if we remember correctly, Will Smith's promotion was really held back because of Austin Rivers and a few other uh, situations going on in L.A. And then he didn't get a chance to really hit the ground running as a starter until just a couple of years ago. But I like Will Smith at number two and Sean Murphy number three. For me, Smith has the counting stats. He has the lineup protection. He's in Los Angeles. Let's continue that narrative moving forward. I think his window is three or four years of a top 10, maybe top five fantasy catcher. And the only problem with him now is the DH is not necessarily going to be in his favor anymore. He was a guy that was allowed to go in and out of the catching position, the DH position. Now with Otani in L.A., that consistency that he was giving you is from playing time is kind of going to be in question. Sean Murphy, on the other hand, same thing. Great lineup, has the opportunity to play at the DH position. Um, that may change as time goes on. But again, I think three to four years, you have a top five, top 10 catcher. Now, Murphy's season did not necessarily end the way we wanted it to. You mentioned his, uh, his slash line. 
I think you're going to have a rebound. This has been a guy that's been reliable for a number of years now. Um, and that's why I put him three, because of these next few guys, there are question marks, even though I really like them. That's Francisco Alvarez, as you had mentioned. Will he move to first? I think that's a great point you make. Alonzo's presumably going to be gone. Alvarez naturally would fall in line for that first base position unless they can really feel confident with him behind I, the plate. Doesn't he? I'm pretty sure he has a good arm. Like he throws out a lot of hitters, does he not? I feel like he does. I think that he was does. One of his but I, calling I, cards. I think. And who you, else do they have that are gonna really believe in Kevin Parada, who we have, who we'll talk about later? I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, we'll I agree see. with you, but when you think about Alvarez's offense, offensive production. You know, we've seen this time and time again. You get moved off your primary position at catcher to outfield or first base. You know, you end up having a more productive offensive career, right? Like you look at Sean Murphy just last year and how he fell off the cliff because of playing time. Like it, it's a rigorous position. And I think when the Mets are looking around and thinking to themselves, okay, we have an easy replacement for Alonzo right here in the organization that we don't have to pay. It's going to be hard for them not to move him off the catching position. Yeah, well, the Mets do like to spend money, though. So They do, and we'll they see. also have an infield uh, issue, right? We, we have Batty. We, we have uh, Ronnie Mauricio, who's you know, out this season. Um, you have Vientos, who's uh, gonna, by the time we're giving him a shot, he's going to be 35. So <laughs> there are other parameters, but I still think that's a risk. Um, and then there's the average. You know, outside of points leagues, which is something you and I know very well, if you're talking about OBP, you're talking about batting average leagues. Alvarez really takes a hit. You know that that's that's just something we have to be honest about. Um, and I will take the consistency of Will Smith and Murphy over that. Um, now the power production paired with possible development is why he lands at four for me, over my number five, who's Bo Naylor. I think Bo Naylor, in comparison to Alvarez, is a much higher ceiling but also has a lower, um, lower, excuse me, much higher floor, but a, a lower ceiling. I think what we're going to see from Naylor, 250 to 275, 20 to 30 home runs, this is just going to be a good player. Alvarez has the chance to be a superstar if he can figure out the contact. Yeah, I, I like Bo Naylor. I'm not quite as bullish. I have him at number nine, and that's not simply be of – his talent perspective, it's more so of I need to see it before I believe it. The underlying numbers do suggest he would be better. He had better minor league numbers. I just I can't rank him. I mean, we're talking about four spots at the end of the day, five versus nine. So the variance between catcher positions, he very well could fall in there. But I still believe in what he is, and he's going to be a top 10 catcher. I just can't put him at number five for me, knowing the other guys that I'm about to list are available for me. So I'll just jump right into it. Number six, Yanir Diaz of the Houston Astros. He's 25, but in 104 games, he hit 25 home runs for the Houston Astros. I love what he can do, but at 292, the only pause that I have is that he had a 2.9% walk rate um, in his 104 games with the Houston Astros. I'd like to see that a little bit higher, closer to that 10% range. But we'll see. I'm not going to ding him too much. It's his first year, so I think he only goes up from here. Number seven, Logan Ohapi. Normally, shoulder injuries give me pause, as you know, um, especially those labrum tears. But I liked how Logan Ohapi came back from that injury. He looked like it never even happened to him. 
Number eight, I have Gabriel Moreno. I liked what he did at the end of the season. He's more of a hit over power type guy, which gives you a little bit of something different than what you're used to expecting at the catcher position. And then the aforementioned Bo Naylor at number nine. And then ringing out my top 10 is Henry Davis of the Pittsburgh Pirates with Andy Rodriguez out. Is it an ACL tear or is it a UCL Tommy John? I don't remember either way i'll let you look that up but it's henry uh, davis it's ucl ucl so um he will not be throwing that's for sure and this opens the door for henry davis to get that catcher eligibility i think a full year in the majors gets him a lot better and i think he runs at the top 10 for me you got to remember he was a first overall draft pick for the pittsburgh pirates just a few years ago yeah, I mean, he's the name, for, I think, for both of us that he, I mean, he could skyrocket here, right? I mean, I, I could see Davis pushing into that number four, maybe even that number three, Yeah, mm-hmm. honestly, maybe even that number two. Like, he, he could be at end of season number two. Um, and then we, what, we have, what we've seen so far isn't fantastic, but, you know, we have to kind of give him a break. He was working on two positions. He was working on a new position. There's a lot to that. Uh, and I think that lineup this season will will be a little bit better with O'Neill Cruz being back, and I think that will help. But we, I think, you know, up until about a week ago, he wouldn't have been in these rankings. He was for I think for me at least an outfielder now. So um, really interesting for his career because to your point, when Andy gets back, what does that rehab process look like? Also, I think the biggest thing with this surgery for Andy, you know, he had torn it on a swing in winter ball. Was it already injured? You know, is that maybe why Andy's season didn't have any of the relation to what it did in the 2022 season in the minor leagues where he was winning some publications hitter of the year? Um, So it'll be interesting. I think Andy, for me, is a buy low coming into the 2025 season because I I do like what the profile showed in 2022. But now Davis gets to benefit from that injury. Really, really, really good for him. And also for fantasy for 2025 seasons, he should be presumably catcher eligible. So you're going to get an extra year of him, especially in dynasty leagues where maybe you didn't think you were going to. Um, okay. Coming in for me at 26, or excuse me, if at number six is William. 26. Well, we're, we're jumping deep ahead. in the rankings. <laughs> um, William Contreras. Now, he would be much higher if for not his lefty-righty split. So 2023, Contreras against lefties batted 357 with a 649 slug. Pretty incredible. Absolutely love that. OPS of over 1,000. Now, the problem is for me against righties. Batted 262, which is pretty nice. I'm not saying that that's bad. The problem is the slug's under 400. It's 381. So if Contreras could only face lefties, he'd be a first-round pick. But that's just not the case. And we kind of see it translate into his numbers. If you look at what he did with Atlanta in comparison to Milwaukee, he definitely was utilized in more of a platoon role, definitely taking advantage of those lefties. So I want to see him continue to improve and continue to uptick against righties before I really move him up. That's why I like Bo Naylor. That's why I like Alvarez over Contreras. Number seven, Yainer Diaz. We both really like him. Question marks about the defense. If he can really stick for 120, 130 games is there. The bat was there, really pull-heavy profile, works really well with the Crawford boxes. This is a guy, I think, in, in my personal opinion, once he comes out and comes out hot, I think you should be looking to move him. Um, if you can get you know, a bone nailer, in my opinion, for Yonder Diaz, I'm taking that deal. Number eight, Logan Ohapi, coming back off the labrum tear, looked 
okay to end the season. Again, coming back from that tear, you know, he has to work his way back with strength. But I think we have yet again another labrum tear hitter who is rebounding. Number nine, Gabriel Moreno. You talked about it, hit first profile. Not necessarily the power that Ohapi or Diaz has, um, but this is a player that we will expect to continue to grow. And again, another highly touted prospect of the past. And at number 10, same as you, I have Henry Davis for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Yeah, both very similar. I think that just that top of my Sean Murphy lower and William Contreras higher are the big variations. Um, but outside of that, I think we're, we're pretty much neck and neck with where we're at in our ranking. So obviously we're going to be very similar um, in how we view our most of our rankings, honestly, are going to be very similar, but we'll try to be a little different so we can have a little bit debates going on. But I don't know if we're going to have too many for this podcast. Well, I was just looking at our, I mean, let's run through it. So 11 for me is Campusano, right? Big bounce back this past season with opportunity. Former former top prospect that lost to Shine. Um, he's my catcher in a few dynasties this season. He's yours and at least one I know of. Uh, I, I love the profile. I think this is a guy that finally got a shot, especially showed with the bat. And he's coming in right over for me, Kyber Ruiz at 12, who I think, again, another highly touted prospect, formerly of the Dodgers, traded in that Turner-Scherzer deal. Really started to show a little life last year. He's a guy I'm settling on in Dynasty Leagues too, or really like as my second catcher in a Dynasty League. Like that's, that's what I'm really trying to pair him up with. Uh, Jonah Heim comes in, you know, you had benefited from his pickup last season and his emergence. I still like him for at least a couple years. Shea Langliers, I think is kind of boring, but young and hopefully with a transition with the, the Vegas move happening, like that power can tick up a little bit. Batting average has to improve. And then finally, JT Real Muto, um, you know, we need to see a rebound, but he's, he's still being paid. He's still a starting catcher for the Phillies. It's a good lineup. He's got to come in my, my list at 15. Yeah, I think my 11 through 15 is exactly the same, except for I have JT really Muto and Shea Langoliers flip-flopped. I don't see Langoliers getting much better, or at least not surpassing what JT Real Muto is going to give you over the next year or two. I think what Real Muto provides is the best outcome that Shea Langoliers could have, and so I'd rather just take the best bet with JT Real Muto at that point. Yeah, and I mean, at this point, if you're getting to this level... Yeah, if you don't have one yet, then... Well, and, and I think this is... We've we've experienced this in a couple of drafts, right? Like, Luis Camposano goes three picks, and you're like, oh, shoot, like, I, I have to take Ruiz now, or I have to make the decision, take Langliers, take Jonah Heim, who, in our rankings, is he's higher. I've seen um, Jonah Heim go much higher in Dynasty drafts than where we have him, but, you know... My point to this is if you're settling from a guy from 12 to 15, your number one priority better be go get Kyle Teal. It better be go get one of these prospects that we're about to talk about because you're going to need a filler role for 2025. Um, so let's break right into it. We've got our minor leaguers. We've listed them out. I think I have 15. You have 12. Why don't you kick us off and talk about the unanimous number one? Yeah, I think easily the number one catching prospects probably across the industry is Sam. Bas well, I shouldn't say across the industry, but for us, it's Sam Basalo. I think industry, there's the argument for Ethan Salas, who is my number two, but Sam Basalo, only 19 years old, went from low A all the way to double A this year. 
um, 299 at low A, 333 at high A, and then 467 batting average at double A. So as he went through the ranks, he only got better, and he finished the last, what was it, a month, two, even three months maybe, on a tear. He was not really on the radar for most people until that second half. Overall, he finished with a 313 batting average and 20 home runs. Uh, up blistering start. Uh, I love his walk to strikeout rate, 61 strikeouts to 94, or, well, can't talk, 61 walks to 94 strikeouts, and even through in 12 stolen bases, there are concerns that he will turn into a first baseman with the Orioles having Adley Rutschman. There's also been rumors that he is one of the untouchables for the Baltimore Orioles, so I don't see them moving him in some sort of a trade. So any thoughts of him staying at catcher are probably not happening but for the sake of this podcast and for our rankings he's going to remain a catcher until that change officially happens might as well just jump right into ethan solace because i talked about him um he also reached double a and i'm pulling up his numbers he's only 17 years old so only two years younger than basalo but he gets more hype because he was drafted as a 16 year old he didn't fare so well though 267 at low a 200 at high A, and then a 179 batting average at double A. Everybody gives him the pass that age to level, he's doing way better than what he should. I do agree with that, but to some extent, I don't think he should have went to high A. I don't think he should have went to double A. I think he should have stayed at low A the entire season, but the Padres like to push their prospects. I think he should start the year in low A next year, and if he does bat over 300 and shows a good walk to strikeout rate and have a good pitch recognition, I think he should move up to high A, maybe stay there. And if he does something like what Basalo did, then I think he should move to double A as an 18-year-old. And then the hype should continue. But I think he's just being pushed too far um, for how young he is. And I, I just don't understand what's the purpose they have Campusano. They're in a rebuild mode. What's the purpose of pushing Salas as much as they are. Um, so those are my top two. I'll take a quick break and let you, uh, weigh in a little bit here. Yeah. I'll address Salas in a minute here. Uh, cause we do, we have the same top two, Basalo coming in number one. And what I really like about Basalo's numbers, you talked about him having such a torrid finish to the season, getting that promotion to double A, but was really encouraging for me was his actual September turnout. Seven games, 26 total at-bats, six home runs. And that is at the double A level, batting 538. Um, extremely impressive. And four strikeouts to two walks. Um, is that correct? Four strikeouts to seven walks, excuse me. So that's insane as well. Uh, I think what we could see is an ascension if he hits double A again to start the 2024 campaign where – He's absolutely just hitting the cover off the ball. The Orioles are going to have a decision to make. And we've talked about this on countless episode now, episodes now. How and when do they make a move? When do they move off some of these prospects, kind of opening the gate for playing time? But until that happens, we're just going to expect that Basalo, even if he hits well at the minor league level, doesn't get brought up because where do you play him? So we're going to watch this year very closely, watch the offseason. I'm really hoping we start to see a package deal to get some of these kids out, to bring some starting pitching in conversation the other day about how they could have traded for Corbin Burns as well as uh, Devin Williams to sure up that closer role while Felix Batista is out, but then they go and sign Craig Kimbrell. And, you know, 
do you have the package to go out and to contact a team like Milwaukee and make a really big deal like that? But they didn't do it. So frustration continues to loom. Basalo, that's the only thing I think that takes away from him being the number one prospect for me is just, again, where does he play? And you said it too. We do expect for him to be a first baseman. So there is that small piece of the puzzle. Um, you look at then stolen bases. He had 12 this year. Kind of expect that to go down to almost nothing as he gets older. So think about a hit-only fantasy option, in my opinion. Number two is Solace. You talked about him kind of at length. I think you're spot on. I think he should probably start the year at high A this year. Uh, only bad 267 at low A. I think the promotion at double A was really for developmental purposes. Uh, I, I do think them pushing him was because he was the talk of the town constantly this season. And you're right. It was detrimental. He did get hurt. So he didn't even get the opportunity to really develop at the double A level with those players and those coaches. Um, I, I expect him to start at high A this year kind of really find his groove. If he can start to hit like maybe Basalo did, maybe you start to see a quick ascension again, but 200 at double A in nine games, or excuse me, 200 at high A in nine games, and then 179 in nine games at double A is not enough for me to say start him in double A. I think you have to give him an age-appropriate placement this year, which even at 18 high A is, is a bit of a stretch. So uh, a lot to be left questioning with Ethan Salas, but he's number two for a reason. I think we see a future pedigree that would land him in a top three catching uh, major league players for a decade. Yeah, I agree. Let's move on to my number three. And your number three is the same as mine. I think the top three are almost in a tier of their own. And that's Kyle Teal of the Boston Red Sox. He was taken in this year's draft, 14th overall. He should have went way higher, probably seventh or eighth to the Kansas City Royals before they took Blake Mitchell. And that comes down to more of a philosophy on where they want to be and when. I think for the Kansas City Royals, they want Blake Mitchell, more of a defensive catcher out of high school versus Kyle Teal, which is more of a bat first from college. But man, he lit the cover off the ball. He went from a rookie ball all the way to double A. Um, a rookie ball batted 429 in only three games, so take it for what it's worth. Then he went to high A, so skipped low A altogether, batted 377 and had no home runs, um, but had a complete one-to-one -one walk to strikeout ratio, 11 to 11, threw in a stolen base too. Then he finished out at double A with nine games, batted 323, um, threw in one home run there, and had a eight walk to 11 strikeout, or 11 strike, yeah, no, 11 strikeouts, wow. Second guessing myself there, but all in all, 363 batting average, two home runs, and a 21 to 22 walk to strikeout rate. Love what I saw from Kyle Teal. I think he should start at double A. I think they're going to be a little reserved with him, maybe put him back at high A to start it out and see where he goes from there. But he's definitely risen through the ranks. And honestly, I even was sleeping on Kyle Teal up until about a month ago in our points dynasty draft. I could have taken Kyle Teal, and instead I traded the pick away for I don't even remember, and the guy took Tyler Locklear. And then I realized it afterwards. I was like, oh, Kyle Teal is still available. I probably should have won that and just not traded the pick away. So I am kicking my butt in my kicking my kicking myself in the butt for that one. Um, yeah, yeah. Teal, what are your thoughts on Teal? Teal's the guy that I'm targeting 
primarily with the conversation that we just got away from. If you're drafting any of those players that we had mentioned from Jonah Heim, Rio Muto, Langliers, like Teal is my guy because I think he will be the fastest riser out of this group. Basalo has the concerns of possibly moving to first. Obviously, if I'm taking one or the other, I'm taking Basalo. But when we're talking about constructing a team here, Teal is my target because he is going to stay at catcher. That's my belief. He is catcher outfield designation in a lot of fan tracks leagues or just a lot of fantasy leagues in general. But this is a catcher. This is going to be a catcher that rises fast, and this is going to be a catcher that plays in a good organization. I think the Red Sox will be getting better as money gets to be spent over the next few years. And... After Teal, we have question marks. We're going to talk about some of these guys. But Teal is a bona fide starting fantasy catcher at the age of 21, going into his age 22 season. And if I'm missing out on any of the young guys that we talked about from Contreras to Alvarez to Rutschman, I'm targeting Teal because I think there's deep value there. I also think where he falls in future rankings is probably top 10, top 5. And you can get him at a discount at the catching position in prospect drafts or in integrated drafts. Absolutely love Teal. Um, those numbers when we were talking about the Red Sox organization, where we broke him down and just what he had done were really impressive. And as you said, for me, then there's a tier drop off. I, I have at five, I think I have my second target in dynasty leagues over my four, but I think my four has a higher ceiling. That's why they're flip flopped. But really for me, it's two guys that I think, hey, these will be major league catchers outside of Solace and Basalo. And then question marks. Well, the other thing, too, is after this, a lot of these guys are in low A or high A, maybe haven't even reached double A yet. So there's a lot of question marks, like you said, like, how do they fare once they get to double A and triple A? What happens? I don't think anybody in our top 10 is actually in triple A that I can think of off the top of my head. Uh, I don't think maybe Dalton rushing. I'd have to double check that, but at least for my list, I don't think anybody's at least at AAA right now. Yeah, no, Dalton is at uh, A-ball. So, oh, excuse me, high A, high A. He was A-ball in 2022. Um, and that's kind of where his, I mean, just looking, I mean, we're jumping ahead here real quick, but look at rushing in 2022. This is why people are still so high on him. 28 games, 8 home runs, 424 with a 778 slug. You know, he tossed these numbers into a model, and people just were getting super excited and but fast it's only forward. 28 games. Though, Correct. You know? And then fast forward to 2023, he batted 228. I'm I'm out on rushing personally. Um, 93 strikeouts to 72 walks. And I shouldn't say I'm out on him. He's yeah, falling. It's, it's still too it's still too early. 89 games like technically over the last 2 years he doesn't even have a full season under his belt. That's geez, 120 games altogether. So like I need to see more out of him, but yeah. he's at least shown me some potential to to make it. Um, he's at my number eight, so kind of jumping around the board. Let's just let's just roll through and get get up to it. My number four is Harry Ford, Seattle Mariners. I like that they're not pushing him too far, too fast. Um, each year he's moved up one level. Twenty twenty one was rookie ball, then twenty twenty two low A, and then last year he was in high A. Um, he was taken 12th overall in the 2021 draft. My concerns with Harry Ford are, I don't know if he stays that catcher. I see him more as a first baseman. Um, he's not, yeah, I, I just, there's been a lot of talk about him not being the greatest as a catcher and his framing needs some more working on it, uh, according to MLB pipeline. So 
I like the ceiling for Harry Ford, but I don't like his floor, and I don't like the what's the word I'm looking for position security of knowing he's going to be a catcher by the time he reaches the majors. If he's one of the catchers in a dynasty league, you're like, okay, I've got this guy in the hole or on my bench ready to go for when my JT real Muto retires. I don't know if you can really trust that Ford will be the guy for you when the time comes. Um, so that's yeah, my number I four. Agree. I, I think everything you said is perfect. Like that's, that's exactly my case, right? Like for me, it's Teal and Cuero. And if I'm looking at Ford on the board, I'm happier taking some of the, the younger DSL or rookie ball players that we have, or, you know, maybe even low, like a ball, because everything that you have concerns with Ford, so do I. Now I will mention, you had talked about Kansas city going with the high school catcher in this past year's draft. Harry Ford was a high school catcher as well in 2021, 12th overall. So from the defensive issues that we have, there could be, uh, development along the way. Those could be solved, right? This kid is only 20 years old. He turns 21 in February. Like, you know, he's still young. Ford could be a guy that 23, 24 age makes his final appearance, you know, in the major leagues and makes his debut. And we're really excited about, but this profile oftentimes does get pushed as well. And I think you said that you're happy with the way that they've held back his development where age to level is, is allowing him to grow. And I think that's perfect. For me, it's just too early. I'm taking other players. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree, especially at a range of prospects on where they go. I think at least if you're doing majors, minors drafts, like ones that we've been a part of, at the point where Harry Ford should be going or will be going, there's way other prospects that I'd rather take at that point. My number five and six are the Queros. I don't know if they're actually related or not. I don't no think relation. they are, but yeah, no relation. Uh, I got Jefferson Quero first. He's for the Milwaukee Brewers at Double A, mostly known for his defense, but he actually did some decent stuff with his bat over the last few years. Bat at three hundred nine and twenty. 21 at rookie ball then in the last year in 2022 from low a to high a he batted collectively 286 but he batted 278 at low a and then moved up to 313 when he went to high a and then all of 2023 he landed at double a biloxi batting 262 his decent pop with the homers um well, let's see he had 16 homers last year so um, not too crazy. I think he's more of a floor catcher than a ceiling catcher. I think you mentioned that earlier. I don't think he's, I think he's going to be a top 10 once he's in his prime, but I don't ever see him reaching that threshold of being a top five or top three catcher. So that's where I'm at with Quero and my general thoughts on him. Yeah. Um, looking at the splits, this is going to work perfectly for Milwaukee if they do this right. Quero batted 275 against righties in 86 games. That's not right. Um, I love how these splits are just completely mislabeled. Are you using um, baseball reference or what are you? No, I'm at? using MILB. Well, it's 86 games because he played relievers who also then pitched righty. They had righty lefty matches up. So, you know, it's, mm. it's all messed up. Anyways, Lovely. back to what I was saying. 233 at-bats. Just go with it. 15 home runs, 275 against righties. We talked about Contreras dominating lefties. 
So you have the opportunity here for a developmental block or a positional block with the major leaguer not to necessarily come to the equation. Also with Milwaukee, you have a lack of money being spent. So Contreras or Cuero can play DH when the other is you know, starting. But I think Cuero plays really well with what Contreras is doing, which is mashing lefties. You know, some of these other names that we have have a obvious block. Cuero, not necessarily. So I think, again, to what you said, he could be a top 10 catcher. Absolutely. I agree as well. The uh, ceiling is not necessarily there. But from a, a fantasy perspective in a daily league, you have the opportunity to put a guy in that's going to provide value. And that's what we're searching for here is guaranteed value. And I think Jefferson Cuero is guaranteed value. He's at number four for me. I misspoke earlier. I was looking at your list. Um, so I, I have Quero listed where, where I would like him. Number five for me is Harry Ford. The downfall that we talked about a little bit with Ford's profile is why Quero goes above him. I, I do think Ford has guaranteed startability, though, in Seattle if he sticks at catcher. Um, Quero has Contreras, which, again, back to the splits, you know, there's opportunity, but there is still question. Yeah. Um, I mean, you mimic the exact same thoughts and um, sentiments that I have for both of them. My number, where am I? Number six is Edgar Cuero um, of the Chicago White Sox. He came over um, in the trade with the Los Angeles um, Angels for Lucas Giolito and Reynaldo Lopez earlier this year. Um, I like him way better in a White Sox organization than I do the Angels organization. Um, he would have been blocked by Logan O'Happy, so the Angels definitely didn't even need him. <coughs> Excuse me. But let's see, pulling up what he did this past current year. Um, two different stints at A because he was on two different teams, but collectively batted 255. He had six home runs, um, but he does walk more than he's, or no, he walks almost nearly as much as he strikeouts, 72 walks to 76 strikeouts. I have him under Jefferson Cuero just because I think the bat is a little bit less prodigious in the power department. Um, but I think he does stay at catcher and should be up within the next year or two for the Chicago White Sox. Yeah. Um, after looking at his White Sox numbers, he is entering my top 10. And that was kind of just a disrespect. Was he not in your top Oh, he wasn't 10? even in my top 16. Um, I just, I, I had not liked the profile with the Angels. I, I, I didn't like it. And there was a mislabeling for his body uh, ratio. He was originally talked about this past summer as being a guy that was 5'7". And you know how I am with bodies and profiles. I was like 5'7". Nope, not doing it. Like, no yeah, chance. but catcher, you don't want him to be too tall. You want him to be able to squat down. Yeah, I mean, block. I agree with that. But 5'7 at the catcher position is... I'm looking at power output. I'm looking at... Uh, it, lo it says he's listed at 5'11", 170, and looking at yep. his picture... He ain't 170. That looks like a 220. That looks like a, yeah, at least 210, I was going to say. So there ain't no way that's right. <laughs> well, and that just goes into our conversation that we've had before, which is it's very hard to generate a body profile from a player if you're not actively live scouting. Even on the video, it's, it's very challenging. So, you know, you have publications this summer that I've listened to and gathered information from that were talking about those similar concerns that I had. And those are really important details, at least for the way that I profile a player. And uh, as soon as he switched organizations, I mean, you saw an immediate turnaround. I don't know if it was necessarily the change of scenery and maybe a mental block was released, but 277 in 31 games with three home runs, whereas 70 games, he also had three home runs. This will be a really, really important year for him. And I think we can look back possibly on that deal the White Sox made and say they got an absolute steal if he has a fantastic 
turnaround in the 2024 season. Um, so I like the profile a lot. He will now be coming in for me at number seven. So I have uh, Lazar, um, Lorenzo ahead of him. I like it. I like it. Um, coming in number at number seven for me is somebody you've turned me on to in this past offseason, and I have fallen in love with him. That is Alfredo Duno, catcher for the Cincinnati Reds. We've talked about him at length on our international podcast that we did. Was that last week or a few weeks ago? Can't remember. Either way, he was the number four ranked international center by MLB Pipeline. Um, he had a fantastic start in his first season. 45 games batted 303 in rookie DSL ball. But I like that he put up six homers in those 45 games. And he had a gay, good walk to strikeout ratio. You know, I love that. 38 walks, 41 strikeouts. But he even chipped in six stolen bases. Um, especially being a bigger boy, I don't see that. Um, happening down the stretch as he gets to the higher um, levels of the minors. But playing for Cincinnati, too, that's a great ballpark as soon as you make the rise there. They have Tyler Stevenson. I don't expect to see him for three, four years, but I can't wait to see him and a lot of these other international guys that I have fallen in love with to see what they do out of the gates here once we get into spring training and the early parts of the MLB season. Well, yeah, and you talk about Alfredo Deneau in similar light. You know, let's talk about Thyron uh, Lorenzo. And I say that because you look at Lorenzo's 22 numbers in rookie uh, in the ACL, eight home runs in 41 games, you know, similar to Deneau, a couple more home runs. But he only batted 236, 42 strikeouts, so 21 walks. So, you know, coming into this year, I don't think we had similar hype. Like, power was nice. I think the body profile from what I was hearing was also people were excited about the potential power, but the swing and miss was a concern. Fast forward to 2023 and the power jumps off the chart. You know, yes, the strikeouts are there in 94 total games. He struck out 112 times. That is a bit of a concern. 70 total walks though. So this is a player that is producing power also producing the ability to get on base. I would say very similar to that three true outcomes option here, you know, 24 doubles as well. This is a guy I'm very, very, very excited about. Um, I, I think the 2024 season could see him rise all the way into the top 10. It could also see him as he goes up against tougher competition and, and more dominant pitching in, in high A, possibly fall down lists. Those strikeouts at 112 in A ball really have to be the peak for his minor league numbers. We need to see him have a better contact rate, and we need to see him continue the patience that he's shown with those 70 walks because as of right now just looking at his line i would have to imagine those 70 walks were probably pitchers that just said absolutely not i'm not throwing him anything in the zone um big big season for him i like the age as well 20 years old won't turn 21 until july you know age to level he is progressing properly here and i think from the catching uh position he probably will also be moved off. 6'3", bigger body. You just talked about the frame and what that means. Uh, if this power continues, I would expect for him to be a trade piece, honestly, because DH is is really the only position, maybe first base, and Freddie Freeman's not going anywhere. Shohei Otani's certainly not going anywhere. Uh, so for me, he's got to stick at catcher because there's no speed in the profile, only two stolen bases. But for me, he does come in at number six above Cuero, as we just talked about, because I just think this power is is off the charts. That's fair. I have uh, Lorenzo at number nine, um, right behind Dalton Rushing, who we talked about earlier. 
I agree with everything you said there. I have rushing one spot ahead of him, mostly just because rushing has that pedigree from his college days when he hit 23 homers as a junior. Um, and then the Dodgers gave him $1.9 million when he was taken in the second round. So he's got that pedigree, even though in his limited sample size, he struggled this last year. I'm still buying a little bit into the pedigree behind him. I don't want to dock him too much, especially given we just talked about how he's got less than 120 games under his belt at Pro Bowl. So well, and I'm rushing at eight and, and just Lorenzo to jump in, nine. I mean, if you think about where Lorenzo is playing at a ball, again, we just talked about rushing, rushing in 28 games, had eight home runs embedded 424. So he dominated a ball. Well, Lorenzo did as well, not nearly to the level that rushing did. So I, I agree with you. It's it's fair to place rushing higher. You know, we haven't seen uh, Lorenzo in in high A. So I, I would agree with that assessment. All right, that's fair. Um, yeah. So then rounding out my top twelve is Moises Ballesteros uh, for the Chicago Cubs. Then Kevin Parada of the New York Mets and Ralphie Velasquez. Um, I have Moises Ballesteros ahead of Kevin Prada just because I think his ceiling is a little bit higher than what um, Kevin Prada can give you. I think Prada was more of a defensive guy, but he still puts up some decent numbers. I'm trying to pull up Moises Ballesteros numbers here, but naturally my internet's not working. Uh, collectively rose through three levels. Low A to high A to double A, collectively batting 285 and 14 homers. A nice walk to strikeout rate, 63 walks, 78 strikeouts. Um, but it's the the moving up the ranks for me that I liked with Moises Ballesteros. He's a bigger person. I'm worried about him staying at catcher. This is the one who is 5'7", 195. Um, so a little bit of a bowling ball there. Um, and well, let's move on over to Kevin Parada though. And he is giving me the circle spinning of death <laughs> 22. Uh, he was taken 11th overall by the New York Mets in 2022. And, uh, he didn't have the greatest season, honestly. Um, 077 in low A, then 265 at high A, and then 185 in double A. So collectively batted 248. Um, yeah, so he had a rough season, 14 home runs though, but that's why he's down here at number 11 for me and not higher. Last year, he batted 273 and 276 between rookie and low A. I think, I think the pedigree is what keeps him here for me, but he could keep on falling for me. Yeah, pedigree is what allows him to slide in my top 15 as well. Uh, coming out of Georgia Tech, I like the school. You know, he was a guy at 11 that the Mets were very excited to get in 2022. Um, you know, yeah, last year sucked. There's no way around that. Like, just the reality of it. I think this is a guy that you can probably get for pennies on the dollar right now, too. And if you don't have a lot of catching depth and, and maybe our guys throughout the top 10 that we've mentioned are a little bit more cost um, or lack thereof of cost friendly. He's an option that you could have with the hopes of a turnaround in 2024 because you also talked, you know, you said it best Alvarez, who's going to take his job. Well, it's not going to be Parada. Well, that could change and there's opportunity there. So Parada for me comes in at 14. Um, you know, last we talked Alfredo Dino at eight Dalton rushing at nine Andy Rodriguez at 10. 
kind of talked at the beginning of the show, the injury. I still really like him. I don't even know if he would necessarily fall in line with prospects, but I'm going to put him here because of the injury. I like him a lot still. 11, I have Austin Wells for the Yankees. I think coming into 2024 with the trade of Hagashioka, there's going to be playing time opportunity. Wells' profile does not help in categories or in roto, but for points leagues, you're going to get power. He's going to be in a good lineup. I think we can continue to see development from Austin Wells. You look at the 2023 season, 371 total plate appearances, 17 home runs, bad 240. So, yeah, there's... It's going to be a guy that hopefully takes advantage of that right field fence. Really kind of how I'm looking at it. I, th- I think a starting catcher that you can take, again, if you miss out on some of the guys that we had mentioned earlier at the Major League level. Um, 12, Diego, Diego Cartaya. Good Lord, what a fall. Um, you know, there's concerns about, A, his health because of that back injury. Can he stick at the position? Does he get an opportunity with the risers of the Lazardo types as well as having a Will Smith at the Major League level? Does he get traded? I think best case for Cartaya is a change of scenery. Moises Balistard, uh, Baristeros, you talked about him a lot. I, I agree. Big boy. You know, all the videos that I've watched of him is he is a big guy that probably suits better at the DH position. Um, but those numbers are nice. You know, it's very similar to Jefferson Cuero when you actually compare them side by side. Parada comes in at 14 for me. So that kind of rounds out my list. I have a few other guys, but in all honesty, they are just, they're not worth talking about. Yeah, and honestly, we're getting to the point now where, honestly, for me, after nine with Thyron Lorenzo, I mean, really, honestly, after seven with Alfredo Duno, not really many of these catchers really entice me. I mean, I'll, I'll roster them in deeper leagues like Adulton, Rushing, Lorenzo, Balceros, Parada, but like, I, I don't, their impact as of right now, things can change in a course of a season, literally for these prospects, they can find something they can click. But as of right now, they, they don't really move the needle for me as far as getting excited about having them be my future catcher um, in the com- in the upcoming years, honestly. Yeah, I mean, so I think it's really hard right now to, to look at the catcher rankings. And I think back to a month or month and a half ago when I did my positional depth charts, you look at the guys like Rutschman, who came out of the minors, Alvarez, who came out of the minors just two years ago, Bo Naylor now being graduated, Logan O'Hoppy graduating, Gabriel Mon- uh, Moreno graduating, Henry Davis graduating, Herbert Ruiz graduating, Shailene Lears graduating. Like we are entering into a really great time, maybe a golden age of fantasy baseball catching. And the problem is it is taking the depth of the minor leagues, right? We talked about Basalo, Salas, and Teal, and Cuero. And for me, it's Teal and Cuero being the two that are also up, you know, probably next. And then when Salas graduates and Basalo moves off the position, we're talking about, again, guys in a ball and complex. So it's going to really decimate the catching position. And I do not have a lot of prospects from this past first-year player draft outside of Teal. And in the 2024 first-year player draft that are going to replenish this list. So kind of keep your eye out this season for low-A, high-A players that may be entering the catcher position to start April and May. Yeah, I think uh, I think I do um, roster Parada and Velasquez in one of the dynasty leagues we're in together. But I think that's just for depth because I missed out on Teal and I have Campusano as my catcher. So we'll see. Maybe I'll make a trade or something for... For a catcher, who knows? I like Velasquez oh, a, a lot. I like. I, th- I think there's yeah. a lot of opportunity there. Ralphie, yeah, yeah. Uh, first rounder for Cleveland Guardians. We didn't talk too much about him. Um, I might as well just 
bring up his stats while we're, we're talking about him. Um, I do. He's a high school bat, I believe. So he was ranked behind Blake Mitchell and kind of overshadowed, but he did better than Blake Mitchell. Um, only six games, though, so it's a very small sample size. But at 348, but did chip in two home runs and a stolen base. So there's really not much to go off of here. Um, yeah, I remember his draft profile, Huntington Beach, California, so Orange County. Um, you love them Orange County prospects. I do, but I hate Huntington Beach. Um, yeah, so what, what I remember of his profile was a strong consideration for his profile to move to first base. Now, what the hell, right? You've got Naylor going to DH from first base. You've got Man- Manzardo coming in to play first base. I think he sticks. Then you have the problem of Bo Naylor being the catcher. But... This is an issue for the Indians I'll overall. Trade they need to find offense. So I think he will be given an opportunity to showcase his bat, and they'll figure it out. And I don't think there's anything more to say because they have to find offense. And Manzardo is a big piece of that coming in to really kind of solidify what Josh Naylor already has, what Bo Naylor brings. You know, losing out on Comanero in that trade, losing out on Nolan Jones, who's now with the Rockies. Like they've lost big pieces. They have to hit on Velasquez, and they have to find a position and a way for him to play. Yeah. Yeah, only time will tell. There's still a few years. I don't think we see him for at least three to four years at a minimum. So we shall see. All right, Richard, that wraps us. Um, For those of you listening, go ahead and check out our Twitter. We are going to be a little more active, and I think we will try to do video probably as the offseason comes closer to opening day. We are 100 days away from opening day, so congratulations on that. I was, someone sent me that today. I didn't fact check. You know, I've been too busy. Honestly, these dynasty drafts and mock yeah. drafts and doing our rankings has um, helped me from going into the hibernation that we normally do in the off season. So I'll take it. I'll I take think it. I almost prefer off season baseball now than I do actual season baseball. So I, um, I disagree with that wholeheartedly. We'll find out. I, what do you mean we'll find out? Well, we'll see how I feel during the regular season. I mean, I mean, what, 400 leagues now? You know, you got to sight through all this. It might be like a third job. Jeez. All right. <laughs> all right, everyone. Have a fantastic week. We will catch you next Wednesday.